The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're looking at um, Paul's exhortation to us to walk in wisdom and looking at the application especially of that this morning. Uh, we've looked in the past at the, the meaning of the text and over the, these uh, few weeks, I was gone last week, but over these few weeks I've been trying to, to talk about the skills involved that to, uh, to, to doing this text well. And so let's look again at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's look, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we, as we consider his word this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful to come before you and to know that you... Uh, are with us this morning as you help us to see your word, to understand it, to live it. Help my words to be encouraging, to be faithful to your word, and to help us to to see how to walk with you, to walk in wisdom, even as you would have us to do in your son's name. Amen. Again, wisdom is that that, uh, skill for life, so to speak, right? If you were to ask yourself, what What's one skill that I need to improve on on a day-to-day basis? How would you answer that question? What's one skill that I would need to improve on on a day-to-day basis? Like I want to work on it on a daily basis. I mean, you can list off several, right? If you're in sports, you might say, well, I've got to work on dribbling the basketball, or I've got to work on my, my running form, or I've got to work on my shooting form. I mean, you could, you could, uh, you could several skills in that area. Or if you're uh, maybe at work, you're saying, well, I'm just going you know, to work, uh, work on the skill of uh, getting along with my coworkers, <laughs> you know, or the skill of knowing what I'm supposed to do with my day and planning my day out. Or maybe the skill of saying no and saying, I can't, I can't, I'm going to set some boundaries here. I can't do what you want me to do. There's lots of skills that we work on in life. Paul here is talking about the skill of praise, especially as you look at this idea of walking in, in wisdom and especially of being filled with the Spirit. And as we looked in the past, uh, when we talk about being filled in the Spirit, this is something the Spirit does in us. He's he's working on us, and and we are cooperating with His work. And so when I talk about the skill of praise in the context of being filled with the Spirit, I'm not saying that you produce this praise all on your own. Like, okay, just just figure out how to be more praise-filled. This is something that God is doing in you, but you are cooperating with it, Right? This is that div- mystery of the divine human cooperative. We don't always understand how God is working in us and through us, but we do want to seek to cooperate with him. And that's why Paul tells us when we're filled with the Spirit, these are the things that are happening. We're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to God. This is a part of this, this, uh, this thing that God is doing in us, but we can grow in the skill 
that's involved. And so I've been looking at several skills along the way just to review really quick. We've, we looked at this, especially coming out of Ephesians 4 and 5, the, the need for us to just create the space for grace in our lives, that we would understand that it's not just about, okay, God saved me. I need to run 100, 110% as fast as I can in, what, in whatever direction I think God wants me to go. It's more like understanding that I live and walk in grace and, and creating the space for that grace in our lives, realizing that God wants us to recognize our limits, to slow down and, and to see his grace at work in us. And if we never slow down and, and see that grace and live in that grace, then, then we often miss it and therefore we don't enjoy it like we should I mean, it's one of the reasons why God created the Sabbath day, right? So that we would understand that life is not all about work. And we also looked at the fact that all the way through Ephesians, that Paul is in some ways combating the, the effect of shame, that, that sense of, well, I'm not like everyone else. I'm, I'm, I'm different from the rest of the world now that I, uh, I believe in this Jesus figure and, and I believe that he's God and but that makes me different from everybody else, and there's a, there's a potential for a sense of shame to come over you. Like, well, why do I have to be different? Why do I have to, to believe things that are different? Why do I potentially have to be mocked and, and scorned for the beliefs or the practices that I practice? And, and the story, the, the answer to that is the story itself, <laughs> It's the story of that this is God's world, that he made it, that he is involved in redeeming it out of its destruction through Jesus Christ. And that, that story is not just a story that's out there, it's actually in here, in me, in what he's doing in my life, in the midst of, of the things that have happened to me, as well as the mistakes that I have made, that God is redeeming it and working in it. And I need to live that story. I need to, to, to understand how that story helps me to combat the shame that I often feel. But here as we get to this third skill, and it's more of a day-to-day -day skill. It's that day-to-day -day skill of expressing praise. And I'd like to start this morning by just saying, why? Why praise and thanksgiving? Why is this skill so important? What's so important about this skill in our lives? C.S. Lewis struggled with this himself. He struggled with why, why does it seem like God just wants praise? You know, is he just this uh, needy person? You know, we all know the needy people in our lives that are like, well, okay, I've got to, you know, I've got to give them a few, you know, rubs, pats on the back before they'll move on or they'll do whatever I think they should do, you know? Like, and, and is God like that? If God's like that, then I don't really want to worship him. I don't want, really want to praise him because like, well, that just seems weird, Maybe he's a megalomaniac and he just demands praise because he's, he's, he's this, this guy who, who demands it. And he says, here's a quote from C.S. Lewis, he says, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or of anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. 
It is its appointed consummation. His point is, is that praise is not just, oh, I'm giving a compliment or I'm saying what I like. It's, 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 expressing, it's, it's expressing enjoyment, but it's completing the enjoyment. You can, in some ways, you can't complete your enjoyment of something without praising it, without saying, look how great this is. And we live in a world, unfortunately, that, that the struggle for that praise is is, taught, is tied up in our, ourselves too often. We, there's a book out called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and it's just pointing out that, that in some ways we, we, we've grown into this world that it's all about ourselves. It's all about who we think we are, and, and in a sense being our authentic selves, and authenticity and integrity is important. But, but if it's wrapped up in me as God, so to speak, then all of a sudden it just becomes this house of cards where everyone must accept me as I praise myself for being authentic because I am the center of my universe, right? That's all about me. And therefore, like when, when, I, when I go into nature and I'm enjoying nature, it's not because nature is beautiful. It's, it's because I, I get to enjoy nature, you know what I mean? It just, it's a subtle twist that happens. Man, isn't it great this day? And then what do we do? Well, when the day is not great, according to whatever our definition is, then we say, well, how terrible today is, you know. My wife and I differ on this. You know, I grew up in Iowa. She grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. You know, up there, they have a lot of cloudy days, overcast days, because of the lake effect and all those kinds of things. And evidently, when you grow up with that, you enjoy it. I can't believe it. You know, overcast, cloudy, sometimes rainy days. I mean, in Iowa, we think, oh, this is terrible. You know, it's, it's, it's ruining our summer when we have rainy days, even though farmers are like, yes, thank you for rain. Uh, most of us are like, oh, rain, really? I mean, I was planning on doing some things today. That subjective sense of how we define what's good for us, then we praise that. And that's where our world is today. It's and if we add God into the picture, sometimes it's just a, a filter where I praise God for only the things that I view are good. You know, thanks God for this great day. You know, thanks God that you helped me get this job. Thanks God for not letting me hit that car. But that often is just, it's, it's not an expression of enjoyment in God. It's an expression of enjoyment of the life that I want to live. Do you see the difference? That I'm just, I'm just enjoying my life within my rules, within my kingdom, so to speak. And when I praise God or others, it's because they live according to my rules. They do what I want them to do. And then, therefore, I'm willing to praise them. But when we live in that kind of world and everybody does that, then often praise, when we say, well, this person, I love this person, they're great, they're wonderful, all, sometimes we think of that person, the other people thinking of that person is just, well, then they, you like them, that's all. And it becomes this insipid praise, this weak praise, this, well, who cares kind of praise. And in some ways, we stop enjoying life the way God intended us to enjoy life. 
We stop enjoying people the way God intended us to enjoy people. We stop enjoying nature the way God intended us to enjoy nature. And life becomes more pale and insipid and joy less overall rather than joyful. The entertainment that we get into, unfortunately, doesn't help with this. Because then entertainment is not about enjoying something, it's about my enjoyment of something. Neil Postman says in Amusing Ourselves to Death, when a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is refined, redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, when in short a people become an audience and their public business a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. A culture death is clearly possible. Everything in our background has prepared us to know and resist a prison when gates begin to close around us. But what if no cries of anguish are to be heard? Who is prepared to take arms against a sea of amusements? To whom do we complain and when and in what tone of voice when serious discourse dissolves into giggles? What is the antidote to a culture's being drained by laughter? He's talking about the amusements we pursue. And again, we're talking about joy here because praise is an overflow of joy. But what, what do you find joyful? Because if we're talking about the skill of praise on a day-to-day basis, what makes you joyful? What gives you that sense of good things? What he's saying here, and Neil Postman is saying here, is look, our culture is surrounded by, and it's even worse than when he wrote this, we're surrounded by streaming services where I can get whatever experience I want to get. It might be even a sad experience because I feel sad or I want to feel something beyond the, the, the kind of insipid joy of life. So I, I, I watch some tragic movie and feel sad temporarily. But it's all about me and the fact that I wanted to feel sad for a little while. And then when I want to feel happy again, I go find a happy movie, right? And we live in a world of streaming services where you can choose whatever you want and experience them to whatever extent you want to experience them. And it feels satisfying temporarily, but gradually over time, like a frog in a boiling pot of water, eventually it kills. And Paul here is telling us in Ephesians chapter 5 walk wisely, walk with wisdom. Understand the, 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 the times you live in. Understand the ways that you live. And be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So praise should be a part of our lives. But the praise we give is so important. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, he says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed and chewed the, by the, and furled by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftfulness and deceitful schemes. The world out there is designed to put you to sleep by amusing yourself. How do we not 
live that way. Well, this week I was on vacation in Duluth with a few of my kids. Some of my kids had to work. and My father-in-law has this, uh, he has this habit where he, he buys stuff, fixes it up because he has the skill to fix it up, and then enjoys it for a while and then sells it and makes usually more money than what he put into it. Does that make sense? You get it? It's cars, um, snowmobiles, and you live in Duluth. He, he had bought a boat that didn't work. And then he had found a motor for that boat, and he was rebuilding the motor, putting it in the boat, and he was to the end when, I, when we got up there. And I was like, hey, you know, I like, I like my boat, like a boat that runs. Let's, so we, we worked on a few things, and I had just worked on my boat a little bit, and I knew a few things, so I actually was able to help him out. I was kind of surprised that I knew a little bit more about what was going on than he did at, the, at that particular point in time. I don't know how to rebuild an engine. Don't, don't get me wrong here. Uh, and uh, so we, we got it started, because um, he hadn't even started it since, uh, since he started the process. And uh, he's, he's like, we need to take it on the lake and make sure it works. I was like, absolutely, let's do it. So one morning after we woke up, we ate breakfast, and we took the boat out on the lake. Um, it started up after a few, tr- a few, you know, you know, few wiggles there, and it started up, and uh, it, uh, he, he gets it out on the lake, and, he, and he, we, it was pretty shallow where we first started, and then uh, we get it out where we can, he can actually gun it, and he, he guns it, and, we, and we, we fly out into the lake. We get about a mile out into the lake, and uh, the engine changes sounds, you know. It goes from a normal, you know, to boom, 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 boom. You're like, that doesn't sound good. He shuts off the engine. Like, he, like, checks everything. And like, okay. He tries to start it again. It won't start. I'm like, this happens to me usually, not him, you know. And so... Uh, he, he, uh, he, we looked at it again, checked a few things, and finally we got it restarted. And it was this, this constant, like, booms. And like, like, one cylinder was clearly not working properly. You know, six he had a V6 engine in the boat. One cylinder was definitely not working properly. And, uh, and not just not working, like, creating bad sounds, right, etc. I, like, I didn't know everything was going on. But, like, literally out of the, the carburetor, there was, you know, every so often there'd be, like, jets of gas like sp- sprewing out and like mm, this doesn't look good like should, should we drive this thing but but the other thing is i i having been stuck out on a lake before in a boat i looked around it, it was an early tuesday morning there was nobody on the lake in duluth on tuesday morning in, in august uh and uh and we were literally a mile from where we started not only that but the wind was blowing and all of those things combined to tell me, like, this is not a good scenario. You know what I mean? Like, how, how are we going to get out of this thing? So he got us started, and we drove about a half a mile. And then he said, it's starting to sound worse, and turned it off. I'm like, what? You know, it was, it was working. You know, I was like, hey, we were getting somewhere. It was, it was not good. We were driving really slow, but, but we were getting where we needed to go. He's like, started to sound worse, it shut it off. So... Now we're about a quarter mile from where we need to get. And uh, he's, 
uh, and we're sitting there, but we're, we have to go into the wind to get where we need to go. And I'm, again, I'm thinking, okay, paddle time. We brought paddles because we, were, we weren't that dumb. We like, knew something could go wrong, so we had paddles. So we pull the paddles out and we start going, but this boat is, it's a bigger boat. It's not, it's not small, it's not light. And literally, I'm paddling as hard as he can, he's paddling as hard as he can, and we are making like, like inch progress through the lake, you know? It's like, wow. By noon, and our wives don't know where we're at, they'll probably try to make phone calls, see, where, you know, see what's happened to us. But, uh, you know, it was, it was that kind of progress. And, and, and I'm like, uh, so he's like, he's like, I think we need to, I think we need to get to shallower ground. So, uh, so we, we pulled the, we turned the boat and we let it drift partially, but we also paddle it more toward the side of the lake. And so we could get out of the wind, in a sense. Because we, we got to a point where uh, you, could get, you could get kind of out of the wind, but then, but then we, there's, you know, this was just a normal lake in Minnesota. There's you know, houses along the lake, and there's docks into the lake. So you're trying to, you're trying to get out there and, and get around the docks. And he's like, you know what? I think what we should do is get close enough to the sides so that we actually pull rather than paddle. I was like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Good thing he's in the boat, not just, not just me. So I, was, I, I got in the back, he got in the front, and we were starting to like, use the paddles, not as paddles, but as like, literal poles, like put the, you know, put the paddle on the ground and push. And unfortunately, at a certain point in time, you have to get around these docks, but to get around the docks, of course, then the, the, the lake, gets, you know, lake drops off, and, and uh, we have no ground to push off, right? So, you know? And so we're constantly fighting this battle of, of trying to get around docks to get back where we want, but also then get back close enough to ground where we can use the ground to push off and move the boat further along. Because the wind, again, the wind was strong. And so you can tell that this is taking a while, right? But I was, he was kind of lamenting, obviously. He's like, I can't believe this. I can't be- believe this is happening. You know, I, I put so much time into this, and, it, and, and he's, he's, he's just struggling with the fact that he had, you know, put a lot of time and effort, and it seems like, from his perspective, man, the, the mo- motor blew in like five minutes, you know. I'm thinking to myself, great sermon material, you know. Here we go, right? Uh, but I'm not saying that out loud. I mean, you don't, you don't rejoice with those who are sorrowing. You know, you understand how that goes, Right? Because there's a sense in which, like, what, what allows us to be stable in a world that's being blown around by waves, right? There's a sense in which I know my own heart, I know my own life. I'm tempted at times to, to, to base my, my sense of joy, my sense of praise, my, my sense of enjoyment on how much I can accomplish, right? How much I can do. How much people praise me. How much I can, I can, I can do what I want with my life. And Paul is saying, that's like pushing yourself out and, and battling the winds and the waves. And, and getting out there where you have no stability. You have no traction. You really can't move yourself along. You really can't feel safe and secure and know that you're headed a good direction. 
But you think you can. Why? Because I can do it myself. I can, I can make something of myself. I can, I, can, I can feel like I'm accomplishing something. I can feel like I've, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my goals for my life or meaning in my life. And Paul is, is saying, here in Ephesians 5, he's saying, wait a second. Where's your source of stability? Where's, where's true joy found? It's not out there hoping somebody praises me, hope, hoping that I can get what I want out of life. It's knowing who God is and what he's done, right? It, I was going through Philippians chapter 3 with uh, the Chinese group on Friday night, and we, we covered Philippians chapter 3. And he's talking about the same thing here. He says, finally, Brent brothers, you can turn your Bibles there if you want to. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, right? He's talking about having joy in God. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glorify in Christ Jesus, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, though I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I have great reason for that. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of, of Benjamin, of the people of Israel, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's saying, here's, here's what I've found. He said, the true treasure is not in my ability to say, look, I know I'm okay with God. I know I'm okay with people. He's like, I could have confidence in the flesh. I could say, look, I'm a good, I'm a good Jew. I even know my background, where I came from. I, I, I keep the law. In fact, I, I persecute people who don't keep the law. I, I do all of these things. God should be pleased with me. I should be, I should be satisfied. I should be stable, Right? He says, you know what? I count all of that as loss. I'm, I'm willing to give all of that up. In fact, to consider it trash. Why? Because I know what Jesus did for me. I know the death that he died for me. I know the, the life that he lived for me. And I'm, I'm willing to place my hope and my joy there. My sense of completion, my sense of enjoyment is found in knowing what Jesus has done for me. And it's... It's like you have that choice all the way through life. Where's your sense of enjoyment come? Where's your sense of completion come? Does it come from what you can make of your life or what you think counts with other people or even what you think counts with God? Or is it going to come from what Jesus has done for you? How much he loves you? He says, Paul says, I want to be found here in, in trusting in Jesus for my righteousness. That's my joy. That's my sense of 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 praise. I'm going to be there. And I have to ask you the question. Where does your sense of joy come from? Does it come from knowing you're, you're headed out in your career and you've 
You've got hope for the future? Is it, does it come from maybe the causes you fight for? Like, I'm fighting for these causes and I'm going to try to fight for these things. Does it come from the fact that people love you, the, the people around you, they're, like, they, they, they're happy with you. Well, then I, they're happy, then I'm happy kind of idea. Paul is saying all of those things are like shifting sands. They're like waves that toss you around. And ultimately, you should treat them like dung. (laughs) You should treat them like trash. You should say, I want them out of my life. I don't want to base my joy on what I can accomplish or what what people think of me. I want to base my joy on knowing that I have found Jesus and that he has found me. And if you haven't done that, it's not a matter of, man, I better turn over a new leaf. Man, I better, I better, I better start going to church. I better do all of these things. It's, it's much more about just trusting that Jesus has done this for you. It's like coming back to him and saying, I know this is true. I'm going to trust this. I'm going to live by faith in this. Because you can ask the question. Oh, he put it, oh, he put it all up here. I forgot about that. Yeah, skip all that. How can I build praise into my life? How can I do this then? If this is what I need to do, how can I do it? And it comes, Paul keeps going in Philippians chapter 3, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now here's an interesting point about Christian joy. It's not just in trying to find all the things that you like all the things that please you, all the things that that make you happy, it's being willing to to identify with Christ. You want to be joyful in your salvation? Share in his sufferings. It's a counterintuitive mood. Move. But it's like saying, you know what? I feel weak. I feel scared. I feel vulnerable. Take that to Jesus. Rejoice in being found in his righteousness. Well, I don't feel righteous right now. We all feel that way. No matter how much we trust in other things, eventually we don't feel righteous on our own. And Paul is saying, I don't want to be found trusting in, in my own righteousness. I want to be found trusting in Christ's righteousness. And to do that and to, to experience that, I'm going to share in his sufferings. I'm going to enter into the difficulties of life and say, I don't, I don't feel great right now. I don't feel like I'm adequate right now. But I know who is and I'm willing to walk with him. I'm willing to know him. When he says that I may know him and the powers of resurrection and share in his sufferings, it's like he's saying two things about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Two primary things I want to know about him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know both of those things. And both of those things to go together. You want to know the power of his resurrection? Share in his sufferings. They go together. He goes on to say, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's like, I'm I'm his. (laughs) And I'm willing to live in that. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And he's not talking about the past. He's not saying forget the past here. He's saying forget all the ways that I put my confidence in the flesh. 
I forget all the ways that I trusted in, 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 in looking to other things to, for my joys and straining forward to what lies ahead. What's the, my joy is knowing that I'm, I'm, my, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm knowing that I'm, I'm righteous in Christ. I'm, my, that's, my, that's where my joy is. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is Paul saying, you want to rejoice in, in the Lord? This is what you do. This is how you view life. You want to build praise into your life? View your life this way. That it's not about you any longer because you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were rescued from sin and death. It's not just about living to your 65 and retiring and building your 401k until that and, and hoping that you can enjoy a little bit of peace of life however you can and, and sometimes comparing yourself to, to your neighbor and like, well, they have more enjoyment than I do. Man, I'm, I'm losing or I have more enjoyment than they do. I'm winning. It's not about those things. It's about seeing Jesus and what he's done for you and pressing into that and saying, you know what? I want to know him. I want to know him. And that's how you build praise into your life. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of, belongs to God and not to us. As a Christian, you enter in and you say, Look, man, life is awesome. Life is great. But I receive it in jars of clay. I am weak. <laughs> But my weakness shows off God's strength. My, my vulnerability shows off God's power. He ends it by saying, So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. You want to build praise into your life? Look to the unseen things. Look to the eternal things. And see God in the midst of life. It's a choosing by faith to see God's greatness in the middle of my inadequacy. And to love for God's character in the midst of me being blown around. Life will blow you around. You will head out on a lake and the motor will blow. <laughs> what will you do? Eventually we got by all the docks and we were still like 300 yards from the public access point to the... And, uh, and we're polling, but he just jumps out of the boat I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm tired of pulling. I just want to pull the boat and walk in the walk and walk and do it. I'm like sitting there. He starts to do it. I'm 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 standing in the boat. He's pulling the boat in the water. I'm like, yeah, come on. He's 68, 69, whatever he is. I can jump in the water too, you know. So I jump in the water too. We're both just you know, two hand you know hand of the boat walking through the you know and. Again, it's, this is not beach, you know. This is Minnesota Lake, which means there's reeds and rocks and gunk. And we're just walking it through the lake, you know. 
And of course, sometimes we get too deep. He's like, he's on the, he's on the deep side. He's like, okay, pull back, pull back in. I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, it's going over my waist. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. You know, we pull ashore. But then the boat would get stuck in the, in the dirt and we'd have to pull, push the boat out. You know what I mean? So it's like this balancing act, right? But, but the thing was, as we're walking along, we were making so much more progress even than when we were pulling. Why? Because it's just walking on ground like we, we normally do. And yes, so I was wearing my shoes, and he was wearing Crocs, okay? Which, if you wear Crocs and you've walked in the water, you know how this works, right? The Crocs, they just, they just slide a little bit, and those little pebbles, they just slide in, right? The wave action is just perfect. So you walk in Crocs, and all of a sudden there's a rock underneath your foot. He's like, ow, you know? I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, oh, there's rocks in my Crocs. I'm like, okay. And he's stopping and trying to fix it, and I'm like, I got no problems, right? But it was so much more, so much more better than being out in the lake trying to paddle, you know, and paddle and paddle. There are sufferings to life. There are rocks that appear in your crocs, even when you're walking with God. But the point is you're walking with God, <laughs> right? You know what he's done. You know what he's going to do, and you can walk. And that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5. Walk in wisdom. You get a chance to walk in life. You get a chance to experience God in life. Walk. Do it. It's worth it. Now, one of the ways that you can walk and embrace your weaknesses and challenges, I mean, the, the, the thing that is, is that's just prayer, Right? Prayer is you walking with God, experiencing challenges and saying, well, where can I go? And not saying I'm going to go back out in the wind and the waves, but just saying, okay, God, <laughs> I got some rocks in my crock. I could use some help right now. I need your grace. I need your wisdom. But p- prayer is also where you s- it increases your praise. Because you get a chance to see God even more at work. You know the big picture, but in the day-to-day picture, when you feel vulnerable, like, God, I'm not sure I can handle this. God, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen here. God, I'm not sure that this person is going to respond correctly, in it, but I've got to say something. I've got to do something. In the midst of that prayer, where you take it to God, say, God, work, God, guide, God, direct. And you see God do some things in the midst of that? Man, even how much more do you rejoice in the Lord in the midst of that? Which brings up maybe the second point, which is also what Paul is saying here. Or the third, last point. How can I build praise into my life with people? How can I build praise into my life with people? We we eventually got the boat back to the landing and uh, got it out. And loaded it up, started driving it back. And my father-in-law is trying to process what's happened because he's put hours of work, thousands of dollars into this boat. And it feels like in five minutes, all of that was wasted. You know, have you ever been there? Like you put hours and hours and money and then it's all gone. And he's like, it, he's like I have the skill. I, I, God seems to work. I know he's 
sovereign. I know he's, he can do this, but it seems like whenever, whenever I work on other people's projects, I do just fine. I, I, I fix their cars. I do stuff. It all works. When I work on my own stuff, it never seems to work right now. He's like, he's listing off all the things that he's still got working on. He's like, my snowmobile's not working. I've got my motorcycle's not working. My boat's not working. He's like, I can never seem to get him to work. Like, what's God teaching me, right? And he's just processing out loud. And he's, he's talking about it. And we just, we talked about it a little bit and, and, and uh, didn't come to any firm conclusions because it's often hard to figure out in the midst of life, right, what God is actually teaching you. You, you can't always figure it out, like, just right in a, in, a, in a moment. But the process of doing that both helped him and it helped me. And if you want to see that process in action on a regular basis, you go to the Psalms. You see David processing life, right? Psalm 34. And he's, he pens this psalm when, when he, he got captured by the Philistines and he's taken to the king even though they know he's killed Goliath. And he pretends to be insane in order to maybe get a lighter sentence, maybe you get put in prison and left, you know, left with life in prison, and he gets set free. And he pens the psalm and he says, This poor soul cried out to God, and God answered. He said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Here's David praising God out of his deliverance. But sometimes God doesn't deliver immediately like that. Sometimes it's a longer process or something. There's something else going on. In Psalm 73, you see the psalmist processing him himself. And he's trying to say, I know God is good, but I look out there and I see people who hate God and they, their life is just perfect. They got no problems. How do I praise God when it seems like the righteous have problems and the wicked do okay, right? He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He's like, when I'm trying to figure this out, it seems like it's, there's no hope in figuring out this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He's like, until I saw God and who he is and what he's doing, then it started to make more sense. He ends by saying, my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see now why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he's not saying, hey, you know, sing about how God is good. Just, just, just share how God is good and never share the difficulties of life with one another. That's not psalms. There's more lament psalms in psalms than any other type of psalm. Psalms are, are the psalmist processing life 
and connecting it back to God in the midst of life. And that is a praise of God. Why? Because God can handle our doubts. God can handle our questions. God can handle our fears and concerns. And the reason we go to him is because we know he can. It's when we stop going to him and we stop giving to him those things that we stop praising him. We stop enjoying him. And God has created this world so that we can do that and we can do it together. The Psalms are written out of a sense of let's do this together. You say, Psalm 73, that's a hard Psalm to read. It is, but by the end you're like, man, I want to know this guy because he's processed life and my doubts, my concerns, my questions, my enviousness. And so the stories we share, both of Psalms and our own life, should be a processing of how God is working in our lives. What's God doing? And yet, you won't always know the answer right away. You won't always know how it goes. But that processing, and that processing with one another, that's what Paul is saying happens when the Spirit is working in you. (laughs) And growing in that skill of praise, growing in that skill, that's not just about, well, we're only going to praise the good stuff God does. That's not the God we worship. We worship God in the tough stuff. Why? Because he's that kind of God. He can handle the tough stuff. He works in the tough stuff. So will you prioritize using and growing your skill of praise? Will you... Well, you look at your life and not say, man, I got to find all the good stuff and then thank God for it. You should do that. That's not bad to do. But God is not just that God. God is the God of the doubts, the concerns. But he's the God who answers those doubts and works in those concerns and ultimately places us on a solid rock. One that we know we have. Because that was my father-in-law. He, he didn't know why his boat didn't work, but he knew he had a God who was concerned and working. Long story short, he thought the motor had blown, but actually just one nut had come loose on a rocker, caused the whole problem. All he had to do was retighten a nut, and the boat worked again. You know, that's, that's my father-in-law. You know. That wouldn't be me, but, but that's how it goes sometimes you're like up and sometimes you're down. But in the midst of life is a God who cares. And you know he cares because he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And he's calling you not to walk and and live in the waves and get blown about by different ideas and different doctrines and different sources of joy, but to to come back to that, that that source of joy, that rock that you have, that Christ died for you and rose again for you, and you're headed there to be with him. And you get to walk with him and know him on a day-to-day basis. And you get to share those stories and those joys and those concerns with those around you and live in praise. Will you do that? Because the Holy Spirit works 
as we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can walk with you. That even in the midst of the winds and the waves, you are still our rock. We can trust you. We can follow you. And we can even call out with our doubts and concerns and our fears and know that you listen. And it's way better than being out in the wind and the waves, just walking with you and knowing that you're with us and you're guiding us and that we're headed for home. What a great joy to know that we're headed home. Help us to live with that joy. Help us to live expressing that joy and praise to you. In your son's name, amen.